All righty, friends and automotive enthusiasts from all around the great big planet Earth, uh, you've chosen once again to hit that play button on yet another... An all-gravy episode of V8 Radio, Kevin. <laughs> That's right. An all-gravy episode. Nothing but. Uh, yeah. No no meat, no potatoes. No. <laughs> Definitely no meat in this show. Frivolous. It's all yeah. gravy. I'm your host, Kevin Oste, joined, as always, by our esteemed co-host, Mr. Mike Cuball-Clark. Uh, and we have um, a very distinguished guest, again, on this show. Uh, when I say again, it's not uh, that he's been here before, but yet another guest experimenting with new technology. So we'd like to welcome our good friend, Mr. Peter McGillivray from the Bonnier Corporation to the show. Peter, how's it going? Kevin, Michael, I'm well, thank you. Sound good? Good to have you here. Uh, and uh, we'll introduce Peter in just a minute, but uh, before we do, if you've heard this show before, you know that uh, we, we make the show be able to fit the automotive genre because we do an automotive trivia question of sorts at the beginning of every show, and then we uh, tease the listeners and make them hang through the whole thing uh, before they can get the answer at the end. So, uh, uh, Mike, Peter, have you guys prepared trivia questions? Always. I got one. I got I got three. I'm so I, yeah. I'm, oh my gosh, I'm ready. One question per guest, please. <laughs> That's right. Didn't didn't read that email. I see. So yeah. All right. Well, because uh, we're generous people, then, Mister Three Question Pete Mack, we're gonna set you off first. What do you got? Hey, so there there used to be this automotive competition. It was a global competition with with um, teams from all over the world. There was one team per country. And um, my question is, it, it was, by the way, it was called the Camel Trophy. And my question is, what year was the first year that the U.S. Camel Trophy team won the competition? Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, because I'm a generous person, Mike, I'm going to let you take the first crack <laughs> Kevin, at this. Uh, you, you, you're, you give and you give and you give of yourself to me. And <laughs> Until it hurts. I don't yeah. know how to thank you enough. I don't know if it hurts you <laughs> or me. All right. All right. So, Peter, if I have this right, we want to know what the first year the U.S. Uh, entry for the Camel Trophy won the Camel Trophy. Yes. All right. All right. Well, this and this is was an off-road type event, or a, like a rally, or a... it's well, you know, it it was a, an off-road event, kind of like a rally, kind of like a cross between the TV show Survivor, which is not automotive nor a rally, but a competition, and um, Perry Dakar, which is definitely a off-road rally competition. But it's, so it's it's somewhere in the middle. And if you've got a week, I could explain the, <laughs> the minutia of the competition. Uh, but if you know, you know. So yeah, right. Well, this is going to automotive be competition. A completely W A G type of guess. And I will say the U S. first won the Camel Trophy in 1963. 1963. Gotcha. Hmm. Okay. Well, uh, yeah, only because uh, I will I will side with Mike here and say that um, I'm largely unfamiliar with the event. Uh, but that doesn't mean we can't 
take a shot in the dark here. Mm-hmm. And some of the some of the clues were uh, the way you kind of describe this as being uh, you know somewhat off road and and you know somewhat rally. I- I'm thinking it was a ways back in time. So I'm going to say. Uh, I'm going to say the early 50s, 1951 is my guess. 51? Yeah. And Mike and I are both way wrong on this one. <laughs> and and there was a key. So we, we didn't, you know, prepare Peter very well on this. We just said, hey, we're going to do this trivia question. And the term that you jumped over in that, that text was softball, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> by, by, by the way, Kevin, if you were to ask some of your international listeners this question, mm. uh, listeners from Cameroon, for example, <laughs> yeah, right. um, they are likely to know the answer because... While the U.S. fielded a team in, I think, every year that the Camel Trophy was held, um, it really never took off here. It was not a a U.S. Um, did just didn't it, it wasn't a phenomena here. But um, when I would travel the world uh, wearing my Camel Trophy team jacket. You got people, in places. Huh? People <laughs> would. It, it was it was crazy. Um, young women would 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 stop me on the street and be like, "Hey, man, you're wearing a camel trophy jacket. Were you on the U? Were you on the championship U.S. camel trophy team?" All right, so both of our answers are way wrong. And I hope you said, yes, I was. And I I would say, (laughs) as a matter of fact, I was. Right. So seeing that I was not born prior to 1964. Hold on, hold on. We've got to hold these answers until the end of the show. So uh, (laughs) don't reveal too much now that we both know that we're wrong. (laughs) Gosh darn it. (laughs) Sorry, guys. Uh, That's that's okay. okay. That's that's all fun. Not the first time. Mike, your turn. All right, go, here we go. go. Go burn them down. All right. <laughs> You're mine now, Peter. <laughs> All right. So in, in uh, 1969 and 1970, how would someone be able to get a Super Cobra Jet 428 or 429 in a Torino or a Mustang? What would you have to do to get it? Wow. Good luck. <laughs> how would you get it? Correct. I'll give you a hint. So, there was no checkbox for 428 or 429 Cobra Jet on the order form for a Mustang or a Torino in those years. Um, so, I don't know. Would you do some kind of rain dance? or um, You had to yeah, win I, the Camel Trophy. I have no idea. My dad was a Chevy dealer. So, um, yeah. Sorry. I don't, I don't know. No eBay or or <laughs> eBay Craigslist. No, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Would you write the manufacturer? Mm-hmm. Interesting. Interesting take. Write the manufacturer. I will put that down. That's my final answer. Okay. All right. Over to you, Kev. All right. So the question once again: If you were, if you wanted a sixty-eight, did you say sixty-eight? Sixty-nine or seventy? Sixty-nine or seventy? Super, Super Cobra, Cobra Jet, Jet. Uh-huh. 
uh, Mustang or Torino, how would you get one? Correct. Um, that is a great question. I, I, I have to say that this co- this question comes courtesy of our good friend of the show, Mr. Frank Simkowski. Yeah, I knew it. Frank, <laughs> and what's with this trend here of, you know, getting questions from I'm listeners. the man of the people. They, they're reaching out to me, man. <laughs> That's what you are. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, well, Frank Simkowski is a huge muscle car guy, big Ford guy, too. Has a Torino convertible to 70, right? It's a 351 car, the way I one. believe so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Nice car. He's been listening for a long time. He's laughing at me right now. He's, he's laughing <laughs> at all of us. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, okay. Super Cobra Jets, you could, you could buy at a local dealer. You didn't have to be a race team. That's correct. And that's, a lot, that's all I'm going to say. But I'm, I'm going to say that there was some kind of a lottery situation where you had to get on a list uh, and, and be, you know, be selected uh, because not every dealer got one. They were a pretty rare car. And, um, you know, it, it wasn't like I, – I don't know if the dealers were allocated a certain number of them. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to say it was some kind of first-come, first-serve type situation. You basically had to show up cash in hand, ready to go. That's what I'm going to say. All right. All right. So Kevin says, first come, first serve. Frank, I thought you were my buddy. (laughs) (laughs) Where do you get all, where do do they unleash all the questions Yardley's given me already? Would you guys cut this out? I have to come up with these on my own. Peter is out living experiences and just sharing them with us as his trivia question. All right. So I'll make this quick. All right. All right. So I've got one for both you guys. Recently, I've learned that there was uh, a dealership, a, a, a Chevrolet dealership that sh- basically shares my name, but not spelled the same. There was an Oste Chevrolet. Wow. Yeah. What city was it in? Oof. Oh, wow. Um, Peter, since you're our guest, I'm going to let you go first. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm thinking... That it is not in the United States. Ooh. Peter picking up on our international theme here that we were talking <laughs> because, about. Because, you know, Kevin, Kevin shared with me that, um, that this show is now, the, the reach, the global reach is now pretty much complete with this show. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's, it's in... <laughs> It's in countries that I've I've never heard of. It's like, man, this is it's, it's global, man. It is. I'm thinking it's Brazil. Brazil. Yeah. Uh, any particular city, or, or you just want to say Oof. it's in Brazil? Well, you know, Kevin, the first year I participated in the Camel Trophy was in Brazil. Of course, and it was. We, we started in Manaus. And we went to Georgetown, Guyana. I don't think OC Chevrolet is in Manaus. I think it is in <laughs> my favorite city, which is Sao Paulo. Oh, right on. Sao Paulo. Yeah, which is spectacular food in Sao Paulo. That's a, that's a big city. Um, and and uh, you're right. The reach of the show is growing all the time. The the iTunes or Apple Podcast it's expanded us into 20 additional territories, uh, including Gabon, uh, 
um, into Iraq, Morocco, Montenegro, uh, Cameroon, and more. So uh, nice. I think I think we do. I will tell you the truth that that the VATV videos are very big in in South America. So mm-hmm. sweet. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. All right, noted. Sao Paulo. Mikey, what do you think? All right. All right. Osti Chevrolet, what city is it in? All right. I'm going to side with Peter here, and I think it's outside of the United States. But even though it's spelled differently, I still think it's it's going to be in a Scandinavian country. Mm -hmm. And I think it is going to be Helsinki. Oh, Helsinki, Finland. Yes, sir. Nice. Right on. We have a lot of listeners there, too. Well, of course. Sweden, Norway. Yeah. Finland, Australia. That's fantastic. All right. Duly noted. Thank you. All right. Glad we got past all that. (laughs) How about it? (laughs) This is some challenging ones. You know, know, Kev, I was going to ask a Chevy dealership question for my um, my trivia question, but I, Ah. I didn't go there. Well, next probably, time. probably a good thing. Exactly. Next time. Uh, and and uh, Peter, you're joining us from, from where today? I am joining you from not only Boston, Massachusetts, but South Boston. I'm in Southie. Is that where you grew up? No, it's just where I live now. I, I'm from Massachusetts originally and was in the south end of Boston. And my wife and I, almost a year ago, moved to... Southie, home of Whitey Bulger, home of um, Matt Damon and um, the Wahlbergs. Um, yeah, it's a uh, it is a pretty crazy neighborhood that I I'm hailing from these days. <laughs> right on, right on. Yeah, and and a pretty cool neighborhood too. I think we can we can hear a little bit of the street traffic in the background. Which is, uh, <laughs> it's all right. It's like you know the Blues Brothers with the uh, the L train going by so often. You know, <laughs> no, right I, now, so. actually. <laughs> It's the it's the planes landing at um, Logan. That's what you're hearing. Oh, <laughs> wow. There you go. Keeps us uh, authentic. And one of the neat uh, aspects about your neighborhood is there's a community garden right out in front or down the street, right? Not, not too far. In the south end, just across the bridge, is our community garden. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. Well, so the reason why we wanted to bring you on is not necessarily to learn about the garden, which is also cool. Uh, but for those who don't know, uh, Peter's got a long history in the automotive industry. Uh, he and I met well over 20 years ago back at Peterson Publishing uh, when you were working with the, uh, the sport truck group and in the magazine side. Uh, and then you left the magazine publishing world and joined SEMA and you were there for almost two decades, almost, right? Six, 15, mm-hmm. 16 years. And uh, most recently have expanded into uh, uh, events of all kinds at the Bonnier Corporation. And today we are in this uh, crazy time of, of lockdown and sequestering. And there's been a lot of people talking about speculation on, you know, will, you know, will we have Major League Baseball again? Will we have, you know, public events? And I, I don't really want to get into that speculation too much because there's enough of that. But you recently authored a really cool article that was uh, shared on LinkedIn and you were talking about kind of the future and the importance of, in this case, automotive trade events, but I will say automotive enthusiast events as well. And you used a couple of terms that I wanted to kind of explore and, and kind of get the gist of that article. So 
for those, you know, because in the, in the Bonnier fold, you guys um, have had some huge ones like the Global Automotive Salon in, in Saudi, which I was fortunate enough to be a part of. Um, and then also more, you know, kind of grassroots level enthusiast events like the, uh, the, uh, there's some Jeep events. There's the, you know, the four wheel jamboree. There's the uh, off-road expo. Oh, there's the street, street machine, machine nationals. nationals. Yeah. yeah. So you guys serve, you know, people that are big time, you know, manufacturers that are displaying stuff all the way down to, you know, consumers walking in and, and, and attending these kind of events. So in a lot of this, you know, quarantined nonsense that we're all going through, we've been doing a lot of digital communication and, and screen time and, and, uh, you know, zoom meetings, but your article kind of talked about how that's not really the wave of the future for enthusiast or trade events, right? <laughs> that's right. And, you know, I, I did that for a lot of reasons. Um, not least of which is I've got a lot of time on my hands right now, uh, because for the short term, we're not producing some of those great events like, the Jeep Invasion and the Street Machine Nationals and the Four Wheel Jamborees. Um, we're we're on hold for the moment, but uh, as soon as things the planets align and it's safe to go back outside, um, people are going to flock to all of these great events and more that we that we've always enjoyed. And but it's 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 during this time that the some of the people in the events industry are asking the question, and maybe they're doing it just to be provocative. Maybe they're, they've got a lot of time on their hands too, and they just want to ask big questions. But they're, they're asking these questions like, are events dead? And are our careers over? And things like, silly things like that, which, um, okay, everybody, everybody is entitled to their own opinions. Um, but... I, I was just reading this kind of stuff on all the different social media channels, and that's that's probably a big mistake um, because I should be listening to podcasts like this. But I'm right. I'm I'm reading all kinds of kind of crazy opinions, and I was like, you know what? And I'm I'm in a lot of groups that are occupied by very successful consumer and trade show producers. And I was just like, nobody is stepping up and stating the obvious. Nobody's kind of putting a, a line in the sand and saying, you know what? Virtual events, they're great, they're cool, but they will never replace the real thing. They will never. And so there I said it. And I, I said it in a, in a very straightforward way. <laughs> and, mm -hmm. you know, it'll probably end up in my obituary is that guy that said that, you know, nothing will ever replace the horse and buggy. But, um, but I did, I said it, I was like, yeah, no, um, television won't replace radio. The internet won't <laughs> replace television or radio. Um, and virtual events, virtual racing and virtual shows won't, replace the real deal you, you just sorry i see a lot of videos from cars and coffee but um but there's nothing like being there experiencing it firsthand there's nothing like being at 
um, any of these events that, that we all know and love and enjoy and um, getting to experience the, the burn in your nostrils, <laughs> the smoke in your eyes um, and, and the human interaction of bench racing and seeing really cool people that build really cool cars, seeing them firsthand um there you, you just can't you can't replace that virtually and mm-hmm. so um so yeah i kind of took that stand and i'm i'm flattered by all of the notoriety and response that it got from different stakeholders that that we know and love in the industry because they've they've actually and like some really important people have have reacted to it and and um messaged me and posted comments and whatnot and they're like yeah no kidding peter you're right (laughs) you're you're right um the computer will not replace a real event it's just not gonna it can supplement it it can enhance it but it can't replace it so i obviously am kind of old school um when in the event business and um i feel strongly about it and and, you know, I think I wrote that thing two weeks ago, and I feel just as strongly today as I did then. Um, well, maybe stronger, because because a lot of smart people uh, read it and responded to it and um, didn't tell me I was a complete idiot. So <laughs> that's, uh, that's kind of, that's, that's new to me. That, uh, yeah, and it's I'm, very and different believe me, from I, when I write. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, when I, when I push sent on that, on that thing, I really expected... A mixed bag of reactions, and I, I've really been, um, been, been, I don't know, touched by, um, by a lot, by all the support and all the people who, who actually embraced it and told me they felt better having the benefit of reading it, and, um, and that that was just wildly flattering to me. So, yeah. And, and that's honestly, that's how I felt. And that's why I, I reached out to you about doing this. And I think part of it is, um, it, you, you may have thought typically when you see, uh, an article that's written by somebody in that industry, that it's a self-serving article, you know, it's going to be, of course, you know, Peter McGillivray is going to write a positive thing about events. He's in the event business, but then when you read, you read it and you're like, no, 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 this is a, this is a genuine uh, uh, feeling, right? This is, this is clearly the reason why these things are so successful is articulated there. And it's not trying to sell your events. It's in general, it's all, and it's, you know, kind of speaks to the human condition about how we like to get together and like to do stuff and share those experiences. So I thought it was, it was very cool. Um, I also think that this might be an interesting time while we have you here to chat a little bit about what makes a successful experience at some of these events because, you know, using, uh, you know, a car show, uh, or a trade event, you always have people that, uh, uh, are attendees that say, Oh, that was the best thing ever. And then you have others that say that was a giant waste of time. And, and I don't know, I don't know why I'm here and I don't know why we spent the money. And, and I will use a, um, I guess the jumping off point will be, let's talk about trade events, uh, for companies. And I know that, uh, it doesn't matter if it's, um, you know, a, a racing show or if it's a, 
you know, cooking manufacturer show or a home builder show or whatever, I noticed a trend where you, you seem to have the decision makers who are, you know, cutting the checks to be there um, are generally the ones that, you know, want to invest and, and want to get the most out of it. But when the show finally opens and you're walking down the hall and you're looking at the exhibits, you see people that are employees, but, you know, some people are, are active and, and, you know, they're, you could tell they're really getting something out of it. And then you see people that are sitting on a stool looking at their phone huh. and, and not doing anything. So, so what do you tell companies that are going to be investing in these types of shows to get those experiences that make them what you believe are the, are the great experiences? Yeah. Well, I, 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 I tell them a lot of things, um, but I think that the first thing I tell them is do not treat this like a fishing trip. Don't think that you're just going to load up and show up in your booth and then a, there, there's going to be a school of people walking by and that you're going to catch them. Um, because you might, and you might, you, heck, you might even catch a buyer from some giant company that's going to buy every product that you produce for the next 10 years. But that's probably not going to happen uh, unless you do some things in advance. And so my advice to people who are investing in a trade show is to, to have a plan to sit down with your team or, or yourself, but mm -hmm. to come up with a plan. Um, first and foremost, what's your goal? Is your goal, oh, I'm, I'm there because I'm following my competition? Or is your goal to go there and meet new people? Is your goal to go there and launch a product? Or to meet your existing client base? Or all of the above. But the, the point is, have a goal and write it down and communicate the goal with your, your wife, your your, your, the team that you're bringing who includes your wife. I mean, let, make sure everybody knows what, what, the, what the goal is and what, what is success. Uh, a lot of, believe it or not, a lot of people don't go through that process. And if, if you don't go there with a, an idea of, of what success means exactly, it's likely that you're you're not going to get get to that place or achieve it or even come close to it because it wasn't articulated it wasn't planned it it was like well i'm i'm going fishing and the the plan you know the goal is to fill my boat with fish and come home and sell them or eat them or do whatever yeah you, you can't treat your trade show like a fishing trip go there with a plan go with there some goals Everybody's goal is different. And one of the mistakes that trade show producers make is they assume that everybody's goal is the same. And so it, a, a lot of shows are very cookie cutter. Um, the best shows have options for you and, and they anticipate a wide range of goals and they help you as a customer, as an exhibitor, plug into these options that will make you successful whether you're a big company or a small company a legacy company meaning you've exhibited there for years and years and years or a brand new company a company that this is your first trade show there are paths and solutions for you 
Um, regardless of who you are, you just need to know what your goal is and you need to share it with your team and the guy that sold you the booth, you need to talk to, to them about it and say, this is my goal. What can I do to achieve my goal? Uh, that's part of the homework you do. You got to do more than just show up. You got to think about it a little bit and not just be there because your competition is or you heard it was a good idea. If you make that little extra effort, you are going to be happier than if you did not. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, Regardless I of the show. I think that's great, uh, great advice. And I think a lot of companies have a disconnect where a handful of people might know what the goal is, but you know, the person that was just brought there to, uh, you know, maybe their, maybe their function is to help set the booth up and, and maintain the display. Um, and they might not have an active sales role or they might not have a role in engineering or manufacturing in, you know, at their day job, uh, back in reality. But even they need to know exactly why they're there because there's this fringe thing that happens, you know, after hours, before hours, walking up and down the hallways, you know, where if you're primed and open to it, uh, business and, and success can happen at any time. Right. Yeah. On the, on the floor, off the floor, before the show, after the show, it, um, it, it is all part of that investment and the best shows have before hours activities and networking and certainly they've got the activity during the show and after hours it really should be a kind of a holistic type of approach um, and everybody should be working towards the same goal so um, and the 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 good show producers they'll be there for you and they'll embrace you um, and try and help you achieve your goals. And it, it sounds kind of obvious and stupid, but, but you'd be amazed with how many people come to some big shows and, and make a big investment and spend a lot of time and effort. And when you, when you show up and ask them, Hey, what's your goal here? They, they can't tell you Mm -hmm. or they'll give you, They'll, you'll, you'll talk to three people from their company and they all have a different goal, um, but they can't tell you what the, the big overriding North Star is. Um, yeah. So do that, do that work and uh, you'll, you'll be wildly successful. Do you find that your team at, uh, at Bonnier is, is having those conversations with the exhibitors that, that uh, populate the vast variety of events that you guys put on? Sure. Yeah. I mean, because at the end of the day, um, while we enjoy doing business with some of the most prestigious and biggest brands and companies in, in the industry, um, we really are about small companies. And I'd like to think that our obligation is to help a small company become a big company someday. And you don't do that without embracing them from the get-go and help them be successful, be their partner, and and get them from point A to point B um, over, over one show, three shows, six shows, whatever it is, um, to be there for them and um, help them uh, make some money and help them connect with people and 
sell product and create a brand. Um, that's that's kind of the name of the game. That's what we're all about. Mm-hmm. Do you think there's any kind of a secret sauce if you're exhibiting at a consumer level show, you know, so if you're at the, the off-road expo, for example, at Pomona, one of your events, you have a lot of general public coming through. These are enthusiasts looking to see new stuff and, and maybe get a deal. I mean, what do you, what do you tell the exhibitors there? <laughs> um, I, you know, it, whether it's at the off-road expo or the Sandsport super show or the street machine nationals or, you know, any of the shows that we do or that I've ever done, really it's, it's about authenticity and I've seen a lot of really crazy things get introduced at the shows that I've been a part of. And I got to this place, and, and really it was around the advent of social media. When Do you remember when some, um, some blogs and whatnot would be the, the 10 dumbest ideas from XYZ show or the 10 mm. stupidest cars from this and that? And that really um, ticked me off because I always thought that the shows that I was a part of were kind of safe zones and they were places where you could go with an outrageous idea and and roll it out. And, you know, there are, <laughs> there are some that are better than others, but, um, but if you're willing to go there and invest in 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 displaying something kind of kooky, something cutting edge, um, I say more power to you. And it really, really rubbed me the wrong way when um, different people would post things and make fun of somebody really just trying something new. Um, I really think that those people who are innovators and who are trying to push the limits in terms of technology and design, they should be celebrated not ridiculed. Um, so, I, you know, I don't know. I, I throw that out there as, as an observation, as a, another point of view um, about, uh, yeah. you know, I, I don't think conformity does, does any industry or anything any good. Um, I think being true to yourself, being authentic to the market and having fun and doing things for the right reasons um, engaging, authenticity, risk taking, you know, that's all, that's all admirable stuff. Yeah, I think you're right. And, you know, we know that a lot of those blog media that put those type of, uh, uh, pieces out there, they're just, that's clickbait. You know, they're just looking for, for clicks. But I think this concept plays right into that article you wrote, because if I'm going to, you know, consume, a, a show digitally, I'm seeing it through a filter. I'm seeing it through somebody else's lens, somebody else's camera. And, and I love the fact that, um, for example, at your, your time at SEMA, you were able to expand the media coverage tremendously of that event and share it with people that couldn't go. People like Mike, who you, Mike's been to one SEMA event so far, but you know, had followed it for years. Uh, but that's very, very different than seeing things with your own two eyes. You know, especially when it comes to, I think that's know, a great point. Um, you know, <laughs> just looking at, at your article and one of the reasons yeah. why, you know, these things, they don't translate that well. No. And you're, 
yeah, you're you're being you're being somebody else is interpreting it for you, whether um, it's through the lens, physically the lens that they're using to shoot it, um, or the words that they're using to describe it. Um, there's nothing like being there firsthand, meeting the builder, talking to the painter, you know, just smelling, smelling the paint, smelling the upholstery, whatever it is, seeing the stitching. When you can see that firsthand um, and curate that experience on your own, um, I think that's the best way. And, I, and you, you reminded me of a story, Kev. Um, when we were in Riyadh, and I, I don't, forgive me if you even went there with me, but um, there was a Cars and Coffee there. And and it was really cool because I connected with the guy who organized this Cars and Coffee. He actually produces a, a custom car show in Riyadh. He's been doing it for years. And so it was important for me to seek him out and meet him um, because a lot of people were making um, a uh, a big deal about the show we were working on, which was a big deal. Um, but it wasn't the first car show um, in the country or in even the city. There was this other guy who'd been doing doing them for years and years and years. And so I found him and I connected with him and it was, it was really cool. He hosts this Cars and Coffee at um, one of the malls. And, um, and so... Uh, I would show up at his cars and coffee because I was there for months and months and months. Um, and what a great, great way to pass your time. <laughs> and every time I'd go, he'd be like, Hey, you're, you're a special guest. You have to give an award. Mm-hmm. And the first time I went, um, it was easy for me. I, you know, everybody kind of gathered around. I was like, okay, who's the youngest car owner here? Who's the, and there was some like 17 year old kid who had some crazy car. Well, obviously I'm going to give him the, the prize. Well, the next, the next time I went to the show and he did the same thing, he dragged me up on stage and he was like, come on, you got to give the award out. Well, I couldn't do who's the youngest car owner here. Cause I already did that the first time. Mm-hmm. So there was this guy who who made his own car, and it it's kind of this Back to the Future DeLorean DeLorean kind of thing. Yeah, it was but crazy. If if you saw that just online, it, it would be the type of thing that would wind up on one of those lists that people made fun of. But to be there and to meet the guy who built it. And to hear his story, I mean, it brings brought tears to my eyes at the time. Um, It was the most genuine, authentic, heartwarming, meaningful thing that I that I saw that day. And he went home with the trophy. Hmm. And I I told him when I handed him the trophy, I was like, "Okay, you know what this means. You have to come to this show every week now because <laughs> because he had never been it was his first time at that show and i was like okay man you you go home with the trophy you have to come back here um time and time again and bring fair so um so yeah you know car shows that's that's it's in our blood it's in our dna um i love the media that um, comes to the shows that I produce and that I'm a part of, I rely on them a great deal. When I when I started at SEMA, um, 
I, I, I didn't know anything about the show business, and you, you could argue I still don't. But I, I know a thing or two, or I'd like to think I know a thing or two about media and the people who produce media and their role and the, the importance that they, they play in, in all of this. Um, so, so, so they carry a lot of weight. Um, so, but it's, but it's a ecosystem. It's, you know, it's not the be all end all. It's gotta be a part of something real. Um, that's where I'm coming from. Well, yeah. And I think by, again, SEMA over the years had always had, you know, a few, you know, pages here and there in, in hot rod magazine. And then eventually a couple of the other, you know, restyling type magazines, but it was never the subject of its own specials, you know, and its own, its own everything. And <laughs> what was interesting for me was to, to kind of go along for that ride over the years. And, and Mike, your, so your experience, you were purely a media consumer of that event. Uh, how did it stack up to when you actually stepped foot in the door? Well, I, I got to tell you, you know, I've seen some SEMA coverage on, on TV and, and it was really cool. And I was thinking, man, this is, this is, this is a huge show. It's terrific, but I'll tell you what: nothing, nothing in the world compares to actually setting foot inside that convention center for the first time and seeing how expansive it is, and just it complete sensory overload. Especially when you get to go up on the SEMA Central stage and talk to the MC about your experience so far. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) So, so Mike, what, what, when was your first year? Uh, 2018. 2018. Great. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Well, you know, it's, it's, it's awesome what Kevin has done there on that SEMA Central stage. And it wasn't too long ago that, um, the likes of, Bud Bretzman showed up there with a TV camera. He didn't tell anybody that he was going to produce television at the SEMA show. We didn't know about it mm-hmm. uh, at the organization until it, it had already aired. Um, wow. Prior to Bud, um, Barry McGuire was there doing Car Crazy. Before he was doing Car Crazy television, I think he was doing Car Crazy um, radio maybe Mm -hmm. but you know he was one of the people that um that i linked up with early on and and we collaborated um beforehand and were able to you know work him into the the fabric of the show um i remember meeting bud bretzman for the first time and he was like i got a great idea we're gonna do something huge what if i bring seven cars from Holland?" and display them at the show and okay that was a nice first move but but ultimately we got to a place where it was like bud what if you produce an episode of overhauling at the sema show and that accelerated to this place where there were so many people in the grandstand watching overhauling being produced at that show that we were afraid that the grandstands were going to buckle. That was a, that that was a real thing. And it was huge when, you know, we like to say people vote with their feet. When you've got so many people in your grandstands that you're afraid they're going to collapse. 
that's a success. Yeah, definitely a win. <laughs> and and yeah, and and then fast forward, I I went to Brazil, home of OC Chevrolet, and um, <laughs> and I was and back in the day, I I would go to Sao Paulo and Emerson Fittipaldi would pick me up at the airport. And I'll, I'll, I remember the first time he met me at the airport and we're at baggage claim and he, he looked at me and he goes, hey, uh, Peter, um, do you know Chip Foos? Wow. <laughs> that is great. <laughs> yeah, you do, man. And, it was, and, you know, Chip is, Chip is – Chip is a wildly famous and successful guy, and he's more so today than he's ever been. And back then, he was wild and famous. And but for for those of us in Southern California in the in media industry, we knew Chip as a car builder and a, kind of an up and comer. Um, but he wasn't a TV star. <laughs> and for Emerson Fittipaldi, who is motorsports royalty. Mm-hmm. And and by the way, when you're with Emerson Fittipaldi in Brazil, it, it's he is he's oh, a yeah. god. Well, I mean, it's wrong, it's I'm it's sure. un it's unbelievable um, yeah. the respect that and the you know just the influence he has there. But for for him, the first thing he asked me was like, "Hey, do you know Chip Foose?" That is <laughs> so awesome. I was like, "Are are you kidding me?" <laughs> Is this a is this are you is this a prank? But anyway, he was. <laughs> Did Chip was put sincere. you up to this? <laughs> <laughs> he was he was sincere, and it was um, and Emerson was putting on a a show down there, and was looking to have celebrities like Chip um, be at be at his show to connect with people in a in a real way. Um, and I think the rest is history. But uh, but that was fun stuff. Well, and how cool was it? Uh, in Riyadh to have Emerson and Chip there and a whole bunch of these others, you know, Bill Bratzman and, and just this, you know, laundry list of, of automotive, you know, royalty and their specific little sects, you know, that was uh, really, really cool and, and kind of surreal because we were all wondering if any of that stuff was going to translate to the Middle East, you know, would, would people there know who Emerson Fittipaldi or Chip Foose were? And sure enough, they did. (laughs) Yeah, no, it, and that was um, that was really cool to be in a market and a an environment that has been closed for so long, um, and going there, we knew very little about it. Um, I had spent a couple of months there beforehand, so I I had a sense. I knew that um, that that they would have an appreciation for it, for the, the, the authentic cars and the builders and personalities and brands. I, I knew that if you had that authenticity, um, that the people that, that knew it and have an appreciation for it already would, uh, would connect and, and really be all over it. But the people even that didn't, um, that were more on the fringe, they would get sucked into it. And my sense is that they'll never forget that. They'll never forget that they were um, surrounded by the biggest 
the biggest names, the biggest builders and personalities in the world for for the automotive uh, enthusiast industry. And uh, and hey, man, we got to to be there and and see it all happen. So that was uh, that was a fun and rewarding part too. Yeah, it's still pretty surreal uh, to think back of what, what happened there and how you guys were able to put that show together remotely and then on site with resources that, you know, weren't, you know, readily known. And, you know, if it, you've been doing this long enough in the U.S. where, you know, if we say, hey, let's do a show in Cleveland, you can make a few phone calls and the wheels start turning. But on the other side of the world in that type of country, you didn't have that luxury. Well, I, I, I have the benefit of knowing some really cool people that are really smart and really talented and resourceful. And I had the backing of um, Bonnier, um, which is a company that um, let, let me pursue this and be a part of it. And um, it, it's it's awesome when a plan comes together, isn't it? It's uh, I, I've referred to it a few times as a unicorn, as this kind of once in a lifetime thing, um, because it was so huge, it was so magical. Um, it's the type of thing that you dream of and wish for. Um, you don't want to be greedy and hope for it again, because how many how many times do you get to ride a unicorn in your life, right? Um, but and be, and be there with Chip and Kevin Ostie and Bud Brutzman and Joe Sebergandio and Ed Tilrock and Max Grundy and yeah, I mean just boom 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 Alan Budnick and um, Ivan Jimmy, Seward Jimmy and, yeah, and Ivan Shine and yeah. Ryan Friedlinghouse and I mean just all of these and Emerson Fittipaldi yeah. all of these these really cool people that have been with me throughout my career to be on the other side of the world with them and have them pull with you to make something meaningful happen. Um, that's, that's a dream come true. And so, you know, you, you just want to hold on to that and embrace it. Um, man, I'm, I'm dreaming about doing it again. I'm excited about that prospect. Um, once we get, behind this short-term interruption in our in our lives Mm. um you know i'm i'm gonna let myself uh go to that place and and hopefully we're all going to be able to go back and and do new things and bigger things and better things and connect with even more people um we learned a lot this last year and i really am looking forward to um making that that dream become a reality once again and not only there but but all over the place um it you know we we get to experience this magic of connecting with people who are enthusiasts and they got you know they just get um get turned on by um the, the vehicles and the, the people that we know that create cool vehicles or heck there's people that I don't know that show up at shows and unveil things that I've never seen before that are really cool. Um, that's a big part of this too, that discovery 
the, the breaking the mold and that innovation and that creativity, that's, um, that's a lot of fun too. Well, yeah, absolutely. And, and I think, you know, early on, we we're talking about putting a plan together for being an exhibitor or, or being uh, uh, an enthusiast at one of these events. But I think you need to be open to whatever can happen because you're not, like Mike demonstrated before, you're not prepared for what you're going to see. And I think when I've talked to other companies and people who, who go to big shows, even small shows, and, and they, they leave and they're like, oh, you know, that was kind of a kind of a bummer, kind of a waste of time. And it's like, well, you need to be in tune with opportunities that are around you everywhere. And you need to have these conversations and you got, you got to, you know, when you bump into people and you say hi to them walking down the hall, uh, you need to do more than just wave, you know, maybe you need to stop and chat for a minute because you never know what, what business opportunity, what relationship, what project, what car, you know, what potential, uh, uh, partnership you might get involved in. If, if you have a closed minded thing where, no, I just need to get myself to the hotel room and, and get dinner and go to sleep, you're going to miss all that stuff. So I really love that. Like you're saying that element of surprise and discovery. It, you know, it's there and you know, it's, it's, it, <laughs> I did a lot of off-roading and crazy adventure travel in, um, in various places. Um, but, but we, I wasn't always in, Iceland or Borneo or Brazil. Um, I was doing stuff right in our own backyard that was challenging. And, you know, you can, you can get yourself knee deep in mud pretty much anywhere. Um, doesn't have to be (laughs) exotic mud. It can be, you know, right, right here in good old Massachusetts. Um, and it's, you got to be open for that too. And you've got to, um, embrace that and, and, and let that be part of your experience too. Because when you go to other places, it mud is mud. Um, <laughs> and, and, uh, you, you know, it, it, to, to drive through it and to, um, it, it's just as exciting and challenging here as it is anywhere else. So, um, I don't know if that made much sense, but it, uh, you know, go try it. Go, go dig a mud pit in your backyard. You'll have a lot of fun. Drive through yeah. it. I don't get, think my wife stuck. would be too happy with me with, if I did that. <laughs> <laughs> well, somewhere in your neighborhood, you know, you right. your neighbors, <laughs> neighbors get together. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Him first. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, that, that, that is the cool thing about, you know, being able to get involved and, and, you know, the real bummer, another one of the downsides of this situation we're all in right now is it seems like the uh, attendance has been climbing and the a number of events have been climbing and, and people have been more and more excited to go do more stuff and then we get kind of clamped. Uh, so in, in your world, it's got to be stressful knowing that you've had all these events planned and you're just kind of watching each day go by on each calendar and wondering you know, when do we make a decision to change something or, or who, who, who dictates that, you know, is it a government thing, I guess? Um, is there going to be a time when, you know, to use the NASA term, the, the go, no go date, uh, you know, I know that the, the Bonnier website and the Facebook pages have been doing a really great job of keeping people up to speed on the future events that are coming up. Street Machine Nats being one of them. Um, that's today. It's still scheduled and, and, you know, people should still be looking forward to that. But 
for something as big as doing the global auto salon again, you know, you guys crushed that show in a record short period of time. How much time, you know, would it really take if, if you don't know when you can start? Well, <laughs> that's yeah, that, that, that not knowing when you can start is um, key, but in our mindset, we're not half on, half off. We are go, 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 plan, 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 do it, do it, do it until someone says no. Right. Because at the end of the day, we don't make the laws. We don't own the facilities. And so there, there are people that can tell us no. But up until that time, we are going to be prepared to be there and put on a great show. And my sense is that once this opens up, I don't think people are going to be skittish or nervous about it. I think we're going to have some of the most meaningful shows that we've ever had because people aren't going to take it for granted. And people people have so much pent up um, appetite for this that they're going to <laughs> they're not going to waste any time being there and we'll we're going to be prepared for them we're going to have great cars and great brands and a great show we're not just sitting on our hands um twiddling our thumbs we are working with our teams to come up with new programs and new elements to our shows um we're we're not wasting this crisis we're we're using this time to come up with better shows and that way when people do show up with um with an expectation um you, you know kev um i i want people to to leave my events shaking their head in disbelief like they cannot believe they just experienced what they experienced <laughs> um, I want them to get in their cars or their airplanes or however they're getting home. And I want them to be going, oh, my gosh, I can't wait to go back. I never saw that before. Um, so so that's what we're doing. And I'm lucky because I work with a lot of um, really talented people. And um, we've got a really cool industry that is reinventing itself year after year after year. And so as soon as the floodgates open, um, I think it's going to be bigger and better than ever because people are thirsty for it. They're not going to take it for granted. They're going to, they're going to embrace it kind of, you know, like they never have before. Yeah. And I agree. And I think that sentiment, you know, maybe was kind of needed. I certainly don't think we needed to go through people getting sick and the economy getting hurt, but you know, that little, that little feeling that, you know, this might be your only chance to experience this. So, so, you know, as Rush said, you know, time stands still, just give me a chance to soak this in a little bit more. I think that's a good thing to appreciate those opportunities um, a little bit more than just walking by going, you know, I, I don't really care about this. This stuff needs to, it needs to get in and, and get under the skin a little bit and stick. Yep. Well, that's too cool. Um, and this uh, this episode went by very quickly. I think uh, yeah. this was really really great stuff, Peter. I'm, I'm glad you were able to take the time to share some of these thoughts with us. Um, and again, I think we 
I didn't want to just rehash what everybody else is saying. I think we talked about some things that are, are some different territory. So thanks for letting us, letting us in a little bit on that stuff. But I can hear, um, you know, I just got a, a text from somebody in, uh, in Nauru uh, in Rwanda <laughs> saying, what are the answers to these trivia questions? I must know now. <laughs> yeah, there's a guy from the Democratic Republic of the Congo that's all upset with me. <laughs> so being the guest, uh, you get to go first. Mike and I are pretty much prepared for a, a loss, but what do you got? Well, uh, 1993 was the first and only year that the U.S. Camel Trophy team brought home the trophy. And uh, that year, the competition was held in Borneo. Yeah, they don't get us there. (laughs) (laughs) And that's why we lost the question. Yeah. But you know what? There's always tomorrow, Kevin. This is true. Maybe, this is true. maybe, maybe all 800 inhabitants of Kalimantan will uh, will be right. tuning in next That's, week. You know, I always appreciate Peter's you know optimism. Uh, <laughs> we're not going to get into this story on this episode, but uh, here here's a guy who has been in jail in China before. Uh, <laughs> and, and live to yeah. tell about it. So well, yeah. we'll have to get that story next time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. So yes, we both lost by many, many years, Mike. Yeah, a couple, me more couple, than two, you. three years. Yeah. That's right. Hey, so right. so Kev, Kev, yeah. where 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 is the Osti Chevrolet dealership? Well, I tell you what, I'm I'm going to let Mike make me mad first by <laughs> by pointing out that I'm going to lose this question too okay. and then I'll feel much better when I reveal the answer to my Okay so. boy so I asked you uh in 69 and 70 how would you get a Super Cobra Jet 428 or 429 in a Torino or Mustang and what would you have to do to get it and uh Peter answered uh he came around to the uh answer of write the manufacturer which is a good guess uh unfortunately not quite correct um and Kevin said, well, because of the allotments, maybe it was a lottery or first come, first served. Again, a very good guess. Not quite correct, though. Yeah, Frank. Yeah. <laughs> so the way to get a 428 or 429 Super Cobra Jet in a Torino or Mustang in 69 or 70 was you merely had to option the 391 or 430 rear gear. Now, and- just stop right there because that that triggered the other components that became the super cobra jet package which was the oil cooler correct and the different you know block All the drag pack items and the drag pack items. that's where he was going with this yes i knew so that if you ordered the 391 or the 430 rear gear it automatically puts you in the in the super cobra jet frank frank <laughs> frank <laughs> now that was a great question because you positioned that one and made me you, you threw me off the scent I wasn't thinking wow. this was a technical option package thing. I was talking, I was thinking more process. Like, ah, I see. Right. Well, good. Thank you, Frank. I'll, I'll take the loss. Graciously, I might add. Mm. <laughs> uh, yeah, you're so gracious. Right. So my question to you is, in what city was Oste Chevrolet? And I'm, I'm guessing it was pronounced the same. It's O-S-T-E. And the answer, the, the building still exists today. It's at uh, 1065 Commonwealth Avenue in the city of Boston, Massachusetts. Boston, Massachusetts. How about that? Come on, Peter. Get Get out of here. (laughs) 
Get out of uh, here. I tried. I tried so hard to, to, to help Ten, you out with that one. 1065 Massachusetts yeah. Avenue? No, 1065 uh, Commonwealth Avenue. Commonwealth. It's, it's currently a star market with an Osco drugstore. Um, so the building's still there. Um, you know, it's funny. Let me, I gotta look this up. Yeah, yeah. 1065. It's an area oh, that wow. used to be, um, automobile row is what they, they used to call it. And there was all kinds of dealers um, back there, uh, Packard and Pierce Arrow, you know, million, a zillion years ago. And now many of those classic buildings have been repurposed wow. into, to retail and, and whatnot. I know where to, this is. I, I bet you do. Yeah. Is. That so I thought is. that was kind of fun. So in, in order to tailor the, the trivia question to our guest, I was trying to think, you know, what, what, what good Boston automotive trivia is there? And then I stumbled across this potentially distant cousin of mine, perhaps, with uh, right. the Chevy dealers. So, I'll tell you what, Peter, it, the real sting would have been if you were at that Osco today. That would, um, <laughs> that would have been even it, worse. Well, you know, it, it's uh, stranger things have happened. It is not too far. <laughs> It's within a mile of where I met my wife. Oh, oh right on. Wow. Believe it or right not. On. It's very close. Um, and your dad was a Chevy dealer, so it all... And, well, my dad claims to have worked for the longest continually owned Chevy dealership in the country, in the world. Huh. Wow. Which, which was is that? Also in, which was Thomas McMahon Chevrolet in Williamstown, Massachusetts. Huh, right on. I'll be darned. That was a blown trivia question right there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that is that is crazy, Kev. I'm going to go take a picture in front of it tomorrow. So. <laughs> right on. <laughs> I'm going to buy. Right I'm going to buy some. I'm going to buy some orange juice or maybe a quart of oil or something there. Uh, there you go. But Over the star market. Yeah. Well, this was a lot of fun, Peter. Thanks. Thanks for joining us and. Uh, uh, going along with our being a good sport with our trivia question and beating us. And uh, <laughs> we come to the part of the show where we tell people where they can listen, even though they just did. So, uh, you know, iTunes and, and Google play and, and uh, Stitcher and pod chaser and where else? Um, a bunch of places. Pod bean, um, I heart radio. I heart radio is a good one. Yeah. Stitcher, yeah. Google podcasts, uh, yep, yep. Apple podcasts, Wherever you get your podcasts. Yes. Now playing in Bosnia and Herzegovina. Herzegovina. Yes, yeah. indeed. You've been there, right? <laughs> no. Oh, well, Peter Peter probably has. Peter probably no, has. No, no, uh, I haven't. All right. Well, might be a good place for a car show. And on that note, we will wrap this up. Thanks for listening uh, to yet another uh, um gravy episode all gravy of, all gravy episode of via radio we will see you next time and uh do whatever you can to keep it under 100 i'm kevin Osti. thanks for listening